Welcome to the Flyover Ministry Podcast, a practical youth ministry podcast for small church leaders by small church leaders. We are grateful that you have joined us for our journey through ministry-related topics that we hope help equip and encourage you as you serve Jesus wherever you are. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Dan. And I'm Jordan. And this is Flyover Ministry. Jordan, thank you for not stealing the intro like I was halfway through stealing your outro last week. But uh, we're going to keep going where we left off, and we kind of started to jigsaw a little bit into it already, uh, between Mm. the main conflicts with Jehovah's Witnesses and with Christianity, as we widely recognize and uh, believe and uh, confess in the words of the Apostles' Creed. So we're going to get into this uh, largely using the outline that we used last episode to talk about what the Jehovah's Witnesses believe. Uh, We're going to look and ground ourselves, especially, again, in the Word of God, reminding ourselves what Scripture says. Uh, So let's just jump into this, Jordan. We've been uh, going over... These episodes always wind up being a little longer, um, and that's fine. Um, But let's get into this. All right. So we're going to start off probably with one of the biggest cornerstones of the whole issue, um, and that is who is Jesus. So there are reasons for why the Jehovah's Witnesses would say that Jesus is the first created being. I mean, if you were to take some of the texts, the firstborn of all creation, and, and you to read that isolated in and of itself, um, you could maybe understand, like, oh, yeah, I mean, this, this kind of makes sense, the firstborn. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, a layman's viewpoint of that possibly and 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 honestly when you look at a lot of these issues that they have it it really kind of comes down to this and i think well that was going to be our closing thought so i'll leave it for later but um there's a (laughs) reason you can say it twice i could yeah i'll go for it so with jehovah's witnesses one of their primary foundational beliefs is that everything should be reasonable and understood by man so when you have something like the Trinity, because God's not a God of confusion is what they would say. So you have something like the Trinity, a, a teaching like that. And they would say, this is, this is a lie from Satan, the devil himself, because it's confusing. And um, God would make himself known clearly to us. And so if we have something in scripture, it's got to be super clear. And, and that was kind of Russell's go at it, right? And so we have this system um, that has to be all understandable, and anything that causes something that's that's tough that's beyond us to really contemplate, um, it must be wrong then. And so when when we look at Scripture, we look at something like Jesus being God, fully God, at the same time when he's fully man. And and, and there's passages like it, it, after Jesus was in the temple, right? Mm-hmm. And, and he Mary and Joseph find him again, and there's this passing reference that. Jesus grew in stature, understandable, because he was born as a baby, but mm-hmm. and wisdom. How does Christ grow in wisdom if he is fully God and fully man at that time? We know that he's laid aside some of his 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 divinity or attributes of his divinity um, momentarily as he is fully God, right? So he he takes them up at times where we see him calming the storm. We see his omnip- omnipotence there. 
Um, we see his omniscience when he's telling people what they're thinking in their minds and hearts without saying it out loud. But a lot of times we see Jesus doing things like, I thirst. Well, he's laying aside his self-sufficiency. He's mm-hmm. tired. He's he's laying aside, you know, some of these other things because he's embracing that full humanity. That's tough to wrap your mind around, right? And so yeah. the, the answer of according to the Jehovah's Witnesses, well, then Jesus isn't fully God. So he's, he's fully man and, um, he's a God, but this is, you know, we're going to make this distinction because it's easier for us to understand that. Uh, so that shows up with this very first thing, Jesus, uh, they make the claim was the firstborn of creation. So we can look at the text. We can look at the, uh, the scripture passages, the Greek and, and different things like that and say, what is this actually saying? And this is where the translation stuff comes in, um, which I'll be honest, like reading through this, this book on this. Uh, it was tough because I don't know Greek. I don't know Hebrew. And a lot of it was going to be like, this is the Greek word that they use. And this is like the certain participle of this occurrence of whatever. <laughs> like I I was not really paying attention in English class. And so, you know, the, uh, I, the indicative whatevers of whatever. And it matters. I agree. Uh, that's just not my expertise or area of study. And so they're, they're talking through all this stuff. Um but going here, then, we see scripturally the Bible teaches that Jesus was not created. In fact, you see passages about how he was going to John 1, uh, one of the things that they struggle with, because they would say in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. So they make that addition there, whereas scripture doesn't have that. It says the Word was God. And we see then the Word being referring to Christ being applied later in that chapter, and the Word being involved in creation. So Jesus was not created if through him all things were made that has been made. Because all means all, right? So if if he was created, then it would have to say through him everything else besides him that was made was made. But that's not what the word says. And we'd recognize the divine mystery of the two natures of Christ, where it's, it's um, foundationally important for us to believe and acknowledge because... In order for Jesus to die for the sins of people, uh, he has to be God to live a perfect life. Uh, He also has to be man in order to be born under the law to redeem those who are under the law. John recognizes this divine mystery in John 1, but then in his uh, first epistle, first letter to the churches in general, says what we saw with our eyes, what we we touched, we heard him, and he was God. Like, it's it was a divine mystery, but there he was, Mm -hmm. right? And God does make it simple. God, God does make it, it the the complexities of it, right? The systematics and the um, wrapping our minds around uh, what I've called biblical math, right? Jesus is a hundred percent man, hundred percent God. And jokingly, I tell our students, how can Jesus be two hundred percent? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and Trinity, how can God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit all still be? How does the the idea here is that you have to throw your mind away? for uh in order to believe what christianity claims and that's not the case at all there's all sorts of critical thinkers and uh profound uh, apologists and theologians who are able to take a look at what scripture says and when you have that kind of formal training and education and when you've been in god's word for so long you're able to look at what it says and actually use the Bible as a tool instead of just doing that holy flip and saying, well, what about this? And this doesn't make sense. And I don't believe that. And kind of what Russell does. 
where he starts to look at the atonement of Christ and say, no, I, I don't believe in that. That's not Christianity. Automatically, you are not a Christian if, if you don't believe in the atonement of Jesus Christ. When you start to reject the doctrine of hell, that's kind of a big thing to just throw out as well with all the bathwater. So as we look at this uh, as well, what we believe about Jesus, the return of Christ won't be secret. Um, it'll be very definitive. It'll be very clear for everyone to see. And again, we point back to the fact that they said that Jesus is coming back in 1914, uh, not physically, but in secret. And he's somewhere on earth ruling and reigning with the other folks that are controlling the Jehovah's Witnesses and publishing all of their material right now. But um, I want you to picture, Jordan, uh, you're having breakfast. Uh, the date is October 1st, 1914. Uh, having breakfast, uh, which is the best meal of the day, stand by that. And all of a sudden, this guy at another table just shouts, the time of the Gentiles is over. <laughs> not exactly not exactly the way I want my breakfast to be interrupted. You're having a nice conversation with your family or your friend, and you're just talking about what you're going to do for the day. And some guy is talking about the time of the Gentiles being over. Well, anytime that somebody starts to predict the return of Christ in exact days, um, that's a red flag. Jesus tells us very clearly that no one knows the day or the hour. And I think you'll see that with a lot of cults and a lot of um, these subsets of Christianity that would claim that Jesus is coming back on such and such a date. Run away from them. That's, that's not what the Bible teaches at all. Yeah. Another thing about Christ that we would want to affirm is the scripture is also very clear on his bodily resurrection. There's, Physical resurrection. Yeah, there's there's a lot that rides on it, actually, you know, um, to the point where Paul says, like, look, if he didn't raise from the dead, we're dumb and we're just wasting our time. And and I, I forget, it was either in the Kingdom of the Cults or it was Mike Winger, but one of the two uh, referenced this and they were saying, like, it's amazing how God in his foreknowledge is like, writing scripture to disprove and argue against these harebrained things that people are going to come up with later. Right. Mm. And, and so um, it was as if like God knew this was coming when he wrote certain things. Like he, he has like Jesus saying, okay, Hey, I'm going to eat breakfast with you. Mm. You know, Casper doesn't do that. Right. He doesn't actually <laughs> eat fish. Touch me, Thomas, you know? Uh, so He's actually, even then, when he comes back, we see all these things that Jesus is doing to say, look, I am here, and I'm not in the tomb. I'm not dissolved. I'm not just spirit, but it is me. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so the bodily resurrection of Christ is huge. And and the reason for that is because that is what our hope lies in for our resurrection one day, when we get to be united with Christ. We, we believe this because he has conquered death. He has proven that he has won through his bodily resurrection. I'm just, again, befuddled at, at, the, at the lies that people will say and um, the, uh, the ease of which it is to just cut out and exclude parts of the Bible that we are uncomfortable with. And the invitation for us is to take the whole of Scripture and, and to see and find Jesus in, in the whole story. Uh, the whole redemptive arc from Genesis to Revelation to see how God works uh, in spite and through uh, sinful people and nations. 
and occurrences and disasters and plagues and miracles and to see that all of that is driving us to this uh, salvific work of jesus on the cross um i think too especially uh of how romans is just such a well-balanced book because paul when he starts to write especially in like chapters five and six seven and eight uh where you start to see like well i could see how somebody might misinterpret it this way like uh, God's grace has been given to us, and how great a gift is it? Uh, now, don't go using that as an excuse to keep sinning, mm-hmm. right? You're you're at war, and and just the logical progression that Paul makes to be able to see that, you know, Scripture is written in that way to to remind us and to center us on the gospel. And whenever we leave that, we are in trouble. Uh, which leads us again to the the fact that the Jehovah's Witness Bible has been changed to negate that deity of Christ. Um, again, widely accepted by scholars to be a bad translation. Um, and it's always a red flag when you try and force the Bible to fit what you believe. That's a very narrow view of what, um, of how to use scripture properly. And I think some, some other points to that too, is like, I'll be honest, I don't know the names of like the top Hebrew scholars or Greek scholars of this day. You know, like I, I wouldn't be able to say like, oh, this is like a renowned person, but I know that you can find them, Right. And so something that also stands to in this is that in his commentary on this, um, Walter Martin, the Kingdom of the Cults author, he was pointing out that, look, even people who have vastly different unorthodox non-Christian beliefs looking at Greek agree with the translations of, of the scripture um, in oppose, opposition to what the Jehovah's Witnesses has been. So mm-hmm. they're saying even these people who have no rationale no reason for supporting this would say yeah this is this is how it's accurately to be interpreted and um there's nuance there and and so they play fast and loose in the the new world translation where it's inconsistent you know they use a a term and say that it always means this but then a couple chapters later in a different book or something they use it differently and so um it's just a lot of that kind of bait and switch stuff that that's going on and and to kind of illustrate this too um, back in the day, there was conversation going on with this about scholars and, and who is translating and different things like that. Um, so the New World Bible Translation Committee uh, was did not have any translators with recognized degrees in Greek, Hebrew, exegesis, or translation. So one of the um, leaders of this group, Frederick Franz, uh, he was representing the translating committee and later served then as a president, the fourth president of the Watchtower Society. He admitted under oath that he could not translate Genesis 2-4 from the Hebrew. So the examination kind of went like this. So he's on the stand. Um, the question was made, have you also made yourself familiar with Hebrew? He says, yes. The questioner, so that you have a substantial linguistic apparatus at your command. And his answer was yes, for use in my biblical work. The questioners then said, I think you're able to read the following in following the Bible in Hebrew, Greek, Latin, Spanish, Portuguese, German, and French. Or let me clarify. I think you're able to read and follow the Bible in Hebrew, Greek, Latin, Spanish, Portuguese, German, and French. The answer is yes. So like this is impressive if you can read the Bible in those languages. Then later during the same cross-examination, the questioner asks, you yourself read and speak Hebrew, do you? And he says, no, I don't speak Hebrew. Then he says, you don't? And he says, no. The questioner, can you yourself translate that into Hebrew? 
he asks what? And the questioner says that fourth verse of the second chapter in Genesis. So he's just presenting then Hebrew text. And the guy says, you mean here? The questioner says, yes. And the man says, no. So he then says on stand that he can't translate this particular passage um, that was in Hebrew. And, you know, we might think this, this could just be a really obscure, difficult thing to translate. So uh, he, mm-hmm. The author of this book then, he said, we asked a Hebrew teacher at Biola University, Talbot Theological Seminary, if the fourth verse of the second chapter of Genesis was particularly difficult to translate. And his answer was, uh, he would never pass a first-year Hebrew student who couldn't translate that. So that's Yikes. kind of an illustration <laughs> of the scholarship that's going on. This is like the, the one of the presidents, and he's making this claim that he knows these languages for his use in biblical work as he's writing you know, he's going to be probably one of the authors that's putting this material out there anonymously, um, but he's going to be citing, this is what the Hebrew means, this is what the Greek means. And then when he's asked to actually translate something, can't do it. Uh, that's perjury, Patrick. It is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, there, there's something about Greek, and I'll, I'll just pull the curtain back a little bit here, too. When you're learning a different language... Not just Greek or Hebrew, uh, but you'll find out how much you don't know about English when yes. you start to learn. So, Jordan, I empathize with you here when you're starting to read a lot of the Hebrew and such for this chapter from Kingdom of the Cults. And even when you look at like a, a Bible commentary that starts looking at the exegesis of a text to be able to say, oh, it's this kind of uh, chaos and this kind of uh, declension and all of these different grammar words that, you know, I don't even know. What an ad- if you don't even know what an adverb is, you're going to be lost in the woods really quickly. But to be able to have somebody to come and just say, oh, yeah, I know everything here. Like, you're not going to jeopardize your credibility. But then if you're not able to translate or if you don't even know the Greek alphabet to come and say, well, I can't read Hebrew or I can't speak Hebrew. I, I can't translate that either. Negates whatever credibility you have especially as an author but especially even too as a leader of the church right because your entire belief system is built on these claims of these people and if these people can't hold their water or if they can't hold up in court then you would think that you would logically just say well i'm you're believing i'm believing a lie and you would leave that but jehovah's witnesses much like many many cults uh, operates under works righteousness, which is something that people are very prone to. It also operates under fear and susceptibility of people to believe uh, friendly people with uh, a little bit of a poison dagger behind their back. And I think another difference, divergence from Scripture, would be just the use of Scripture and the place of Scripture itself. You know, we mm-hmm. recognize that God's Word is His Word to us, and it's through His Word that His Spirit works and creates faith in our heart. It is through his word. Like Bible talks about it never returning void. God is always accomplishing something yes. as we spend time in his word. He has something for us and his word changes us. We subscribe to it. It doesn't subscribe to us. And yet kind of what we talked about last week, it's super telling when even though they have their own translation that is poor, but that supports their theological positions, even with that fact, they still don't want their people just reading the word um, where we would say that God's word in the place of a believer is one that is to be cherished. And that was 
that was a huge thing of Luther. It was just like, let's get the word into the language of the people so they can read it. So they don't have to get it just from this leader of the church that's talking in a language that they don't understand and trying to tell them, mm. now this is what this means and this is how you have to change your life. That's a recipe for manipulation and spiritual yeah. abuse. And we see that happening in that Catholic church at that time, but also in the Jehovah's Witness organization um, as they have that position of, here's the Bible, don't read it, only read what we have to say about it, and then yeah. you'll be okay. Well, and we would even recognize that there's... Um different books that we as Christians utilize and find as beneficial. Uh, biblical commentaries. Uh, as Lutherans, we look at the Augsburg Confession. We look at the Book of Concord. We look at catechisms. Um, a lot of Christians would view the works of Augustine and other reformers to be beneficial for helping us understand Scripture. Um, the difference here is that when you have the Jehovah's Witnesses or even the Mormons, they would say, yeah, here's scripture, but we prefer this, like, and, and it's pointing us away from the primary and sole position of scripture as the authority and adding uh, or substituting the authority uh, of, of written words yeah. to be the influence and impactful direction for our lives. Mm-hmm. So these books, I guess, as I'm looking at this, like the small catechism is great to help us understand scripture. It, it's great for us to be able to uh, study scripture and what do we believe in um, looking at us as, again as Lutherans to be able to say, here's uh, the answers to questions that a lot of our people have. Uh, when we look at scripture, what we see this, it's useful to help us study scripture, but you know, the small catechism isn't the Bible. Mm-hmm. So we again would view that as a helpful tool, but to view scripture as the, the sole source of what we believe. And as we are, again, finding ourselves looking at the clock and thinking like, wow, we could spend a whole lot more time talking about (laughs) ways that we are different. um, I just want to kind of highlight some of the things we did bring up last episode. So cosmology, we would recognize as they do that God is a creator of the universe. But one difference is that we would also say that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are involved as a part of the Trinity in the creative work. Um, So God, the triune God, is the creator of the universe, all that is. Um, For anthropology, we agree that man has sinned, and because of that, everyone who is born has been born with that sin nature. Uh, We kind of, again, split ways with when we look at what the implications are, especially for life after, um, which gets into eschatology. Mm -hmm. So we would believe Scripture teaches that there is life. Um, There is our physical life that we're living now, but we have a soul that's going to go on forever. It doesn't just die. It doesn't just disappear, but it is going to be eternal. And you have two places that you can live. You can live with God for eternity in heaven, um, or you can live in eternal punishment. And and you might think, well, how could a loving God do that? Um, Because he's not exclusively a loving God. He's also a just God, a God who has standards, a God who is holy and moral. And we've, fail to see how we've broken those standards time and time again. It's a miracle that anyone gets to be in heaven with God. We all deserve punishment and separation. Um, But hell's a real place created Mm -hmm. for the punishment of Satan, who does not rule it, but he is going to be subjected to it. And so we recognize that that is a part of it as well. We recognize the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, not just some active force, but an actual person not human like you and I as a personhood, but an individual entity that is a part of the Trinity. Um, 
And I recognize that even just saying things like that, we get into the whole Patrick discussion of being <laughs> precise with words and trying not to be heretical uh, as we embrace that mystery. Uh, we recognize that salvation comes through Christ alone, his work on the cross, totally sufficient. And we are able to apply that to ourselves, not by any works that we do, but by the gift of faith that God gives us to believe mm. that that has been for us. Um, we know that there's not only 140,000 that are going to be saved. Uh, we know that there will be a new heavens and a new earth and that we can live with Christ. And, you know, how that looks is going to be interesting. We'll see what the new earth and how the new heavens coincide together and how we inhabit those places. Um, and we recognize that scripture is the authority of us, not man over scripture. And yeah, so I, I think that that kind of, that touches at least a little bit on everything that we brought up last episode. And I think if you're, if you're interested in more, again, I would recommend the kingdom of the cults. It gets into a lot of the nitty gritty, um, there's a lot of resources out there you can look at and see even just even um, some of the responses like Mike Winger's videos of the Jehovah's Witnesses coming up and you can see them again saying like, no, this is the one true thing. And, and you know, Jesus was created or whatever. And so they're still beating their drum. But you can that gives you an opportunity to see their how they process it and what they keep going back to uh, in light of what scripture teaches. So I encourage you to really spend some time in this. We're going to get into this next week a little bit as to why. Why should we care? Why should we invest some of the time into this? Um, and, and there is a redemptive purpose to that, but also a responsibility we as leaders have in this as well. So with that, go in peace and serve the Lord. Thanks for listening to Flyover Ministry. You can find, follow, and give feedback on our Instagram and Facebook pages at Flyover Ministry. You can also get in contact with us on our Gmail account, flyoverministrypodcast at gmail.com. You can find other episodes that we've recorded on iTunes and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts, and please feel free to share them with a friend. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.